welcome to another episode of Thick and Thin Hoops, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik. Nithin can't make it this week, so instead we're going to be joined by Nahal Patel to talk a little bit about the playoff picture, the current pulse of the Los Angeles Lakers, and the play-in tournament, and what to look forward to for that. But before we bring Nahal on, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about the NCAA tournament which just came to an end. Fantastic tournament overall. Baylor beat Gonzaga on Monday. And, you know, when we think about the NCAA tournament, I feel like every season, what makes it exciting uh, is really two things. Is, is one, either your team is in it and is going far, as, you know, for me, UCLA had an incredible run this year. Or it's it's tied to your bracket. And if your bracket's doing well and, and you've got a chance to win it, that's what also makes it really exciting. But I think this year, just for the casual fan, whether or not you had a back bracket, whether or not you had a team that was in the tournament, it was just a very exciting tournament. Um, you had plenty of upsets right from the beginning, right from the get-go. You had teams like Ohio State go down. You had teams like Illinois go down, who I actually had winning it all. And, and, and 15 seeds, 14 seeds, all advancing pretty early. But at the end of the day, it still felt like the right teams were in it at the end. We ended with Gonzaga, Baylor, Houston, and then UCLA was definitely underseeded, so you can make an argument that they should have been a lot higher. And overall, you had two one seeds and a two seed in the end, and some people are disappointed by that, but I think ultimately that's what you want out of March Madness. You want a string of upsets. You want to feel like some of these uh, underdogs and mid-major teams actually have a chance to win it all. But when all is said and done, you want to see the best of the best on the floor. You want to see the teams that have are chock full of NBA talent, guys that you're going to see play at the next level, like you know, we saw with Jalen Suggs uh, and, and guys like Johnny Juzang, who honestly made a name for themselves in this tournament. And, and that's what we got. We got a Gonzaga-Baylor matchup that did not live up to the hype because Baylor kind of put their foot on the gas right from the, the beginning and frankly made Gonzaga look a lot weaker than they were all season. And and it was interesting because as Baylor just looked faster, stronger, and, and more athletic. And I think a lot of people forgot that this is a team that started 17-0 before their season went on a hiatus due to COVID. So this was also a, a team that looked like they were on pace for an undefeated season, similar to Gonzaga. But because of the COVID issues, because they had a few losses down the stretch, uh, we didn't think of them as the same type of juggernaut, although they were a consensus number two team in, in the tournament. I did also want it to touch on UCLA, even though we spent a lot of time on the last pod talking about UCLA. The Gonzaga-UCLA game was was absolutely incredible. And it was crushing for all the fellow Bruins who had to see that last <laughs> half-court heave by Jalen Suggs get banked in. Um, but really, we were playing with house money at this point. And I think for us, it, it's really more about the return of the program and signs of hope for the program in terms of once Mick Cronin actually brings in his recruits, once we get all our guys back and, and healthy, this team is going to be set up well for the long run. But those are just some of my thoughts on the tournament. I One of the other things I like watching when I do watch March Madness is who's going to play in the NBA. And this year... You, you know, I think there are five easily top five prospects who are going to go at the top of the draft uh, and six through, you know, 30 in the first round 
is all a crapshoot, but there is a clear kind of elite class of five. And it starts with Cade Cunningham. And Cade Cunningham, I think, clearly he can score at all levels, excellent at finishing at the rim, is a good shooter, and has got great size to kind of play that point forward position. And he's also a guy who's active off ball, making all the right plays when he doesn't have the ball in his hand, which is something that uh, not a lot of players have that gift of playing both on and off ball extremely well. I think his biggest knock is his athleticism and explosiveness, which isn't bad, but he, he plays a little bit slower than you'd like. Um, and on the defensive end, this lack of athleticism might limit him in the, in the professional game. But when you talk about guys like Cade Cunningham and, and you see guys like Luca today in the league flourishing, it really, all that matters is if you're a crafty scorer and, and a deft passer, you can make a, a name for yourself in this league. And I think that's what's so tantalizing about Cade is that he he has all the tools, the, the high IQ to be a really well-rounded player and who can single-handedly control an offense. And Oklahoma State this year overachieved quite a bit all because of Cade. And when you think about it, they actually beat Baylor uh, late in the season behind Cunningham's 25, 8, and 5 in that game. So this is a team that, although they did not make a deep tournament run, Cade Cunningham really was powering them uh, all season long. And so that brings me to the, the next top prospect who has been getting a lot of attention lately because he plays for Gonzaga and made it all the way to the finals. Jalen Suggs, who they're starting to be a talk track right now that's saying, should Jalen Suggs go ahead of Cade Cunningham? Which, you know, the, the argument for for Suggs is really that he has an impact all over the floor. And I, I think this is evident when you watch him, even when he was struggling at times against UCLA and, and his shot wasn't going in, he was making a huge impact on the defensive end, um, switching on to Juzang, uh, just really hands you the ball, making critical blocks, smart rotations. So it's not just on ball defense, but also knowing you know when to close, when to play back, just a really smart high IQ player with uh, elite athleticism to boot. So Suggs is, is a tantalizing guard prospect, but I think when you think about Cade Cunningham, the size and the measurables are, are what set him apart. And the fact that he can play, and really scored all levels at that 6-8-6-9 frame still makes him the consensus number one to me. You know, there are a couple other guys in the top five. You talk about Evan Mobley, who had a great tournament, been great for USC. The one question I have about Evan Mobley really is, how many big men do we see being successful in the last couple of years? These big men who are drafted top five and who are a little lankier, a little more wiry. Um, we haven't seen many of them have success. James Wiseman struggling a bit this year. Marvin Bagley, clearly for the Kings, has not lived up to the hype. And I know Evan Mobley is a very different prospect because he's so good defensively. He's He's got all the tools. I personally think he's going to be good, but it does make you worry a little bit that when you do draft a big that high, um, there's a lot to love to. Like Even when you think about DeAndre Aiden, uh, who was taken number one, and everyone knew that Luca was probably the pick there, but Aiden started off his career in Phoenix pretty, pretty strongly, and uh, he's had a, a decent impact, and he's he's a critical part of that team. But his ceiling after a couple seasons now looks a lot lower than we originally imagined. Um, 
unless he makes huge strides in this game. So that's the worry with Mobley. And then we talk about Kaminga and, and Jalen Green. Those guys are in the G League, and uh, they're also making quite quite of an impact in terms of playing against guys who are more professional ready, not the college game. And so their counting stats aren't going to be great, but they're clearly very talented. A couple of guys I didn't want to talk about just from a tournament standpoint that I found interesting. Corey Kispert on Gonzaga, a lot of talk about him going in that 10 to 15 range. So still a lottery pick. But to me, I, I'm I'm not so sure I see it. He's not athletic enough to be a primary ball handler. And so on that Gonzaga team where he can do a little bit of shot creation um, and he's not just a spot-up shooter, my worry is that in the NBA, he will get turned into someone who just parks behind the three-point line. And he doesn't offer much defensively. He's a good defender in college, but once again, his lack of lateral quickness and athleticism, I'm not sure I see it translating to the NBA. And on top of all that, he's 22 years old. So a guy like Kispert, uh, watching my Gonzaga, I didn't see the kind of impact that he had in those games late in the stretch that made me really believe this guy's going to be a quality NBA prospect. Franz Wagner, similarly in Michigan, he's also a guy slotted in that 10 to 15 range and struggled quite a bit in the tournament. But I think I'm a little bit more hopeful for him because he has all the measurables and he has the, a feel for the game that allows him to kind of blend in seamlessly with any team. He's a high IQ player and kind of a, like a guy like Halliburton where even when they're not necessarily piling up the scoring stats, he is making contributions uh, to the box score. And so you got to hope he fills out that frame, but his size really makes um, him a little bit more promising, although he went invincible and, and completely cold in some of these tournament games. So I'm not sure um, if his upside might be capped as well. And then the last guy I want to talk about is Johnny Juzang. And Juzang was seen as a guy who might be able to go in the second round. And he's only a sophomore at UCLA seen as a guy who could go late second round. If you talk about early in the season, but now he has, his draft stock has taken off and he's being looked at as possibly a first round pick at this point. Now, I, I don't think, I think after everyone goes to their evaluations, I, I don't think he'll be a first round. I still think he might be early second or late first. He might benefit from staying one more year at UCLA uh, so he can climb into the lottery next year because he he has the the skills that are valuable in the NBA. He's got the shot creation ability, the ability to create separation and really make shots anywhere in the floor, which is a highly valuable skill. His issue is that he needs to fill out his frame and put on a little bit more weight because it's going to be harder for him to get that separation in the NBA. He needs to get a little stronger so he can spend more time driving and, and getting to the free throw line. But overall, he's he's got the tool set and he's done it on a big stage now. So I think there's no worry with that either. Um, so very interested to see where he goes, obviously, as a UCLA fan. Hope he stays one more year. Um, but he's a guy who could go to the NBA today. But with that, um, we're going to now switch to NBA talk and bring Nahal on. And we'll be back right after this. Welcome back, Nahal, to the pod. I think the last time we had you on was during the bubble uh, when the Lakers, we were talking contenders, the Lakers were the number one seed in the West, but at that point, we didn't know if they were going to be able to win the title, what the playoffs would look like, and 
since well, we last I, I knew I knew I said that they would win I, I I don't know I remember you being a little bit skeptical about LeBron and you know talking about how maybe he he can't get it done but you know we know what happened LeBron once again West East doesn't matter won the title <laughs> now looking at making a repeat run so how you how you feeling how you feeling uh after they won that last championship well after the championship I was feeling good but in the in the last 10 minutes I haven't been feeling great because you big leaked me right now. You told me to log on. You demanded I logged on at 11 p.m. Eastern time. And I've been sitting here like a chump as you did a solo segment. <laughs> so I thought I'd get a better welcome this time around. But I think I think uh, I wasn't expecting this power trip with nothing gone. But um, other than that, I had to take advantage. I had to have my unfiltered thoughts get out without Nithin there to check me. So this is true. This is this is like. This is like uh, we can see the on-off numbers between you and Nithin, see who, <laughs> who's driving engagement and who who who's not. So it's an interesting experiment. Exactly, exactly. Well, it's good to have you back on the pod. Um, you know, now that we're kind of getting late into the season and we're kind of in the doldrums of the season where um, we're still far away from the playoffs, but not close enough that there's real jostling for the seating things are shaping out a little bit. We're starting to see teams separate themselves from the pack. We're starting to see some of the bottom tier teams kind of wrap it up and, and it looks like they're clearly tanking. So a lot of eyes though are on the play-in tournament this year. And we had obviously the play-in tournament in the bubble season where um, they were testing it out for the first time. It was pretty exciting, but it was only one game. This year, obviously, with the, it's the seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth seed, and so one of the interesting phenomenons that's come out of this is that we're seeing more teams try to play for that play-in tournament, and fewer teams tanking, which was the NBA's goal in all of this. So, wanted to get your thoughts just on how you think teams are kind of reacting to this play-in tournament. Is it really accomplishing the goal that the NBA had set out for it? Um, and is this really going to be effective in curbing tanking the way it's set up right now? So I think so. Um, I, I mean, part of it is they flattened out the lottery odds. So that's really helping the tanking uh, at the very bottom. But in terms of that, uh, I don't even want to call it middle class, but those like, you know, the C and D students. Um, I mean, we saw basically a lot of teams that could have tanked because uh, they're in the 10th, 11th, 12th seeds. They didn't. Um, obviously, your Kings being one of them. I'm not sure how you feel about them not trading Barnes or, or kind of going for this 10th seed playoff push, which I find hilarious. But hmm. um, that's one example. The Bulls obviously went for Vucevic. And then, I mean, I don't know what the Raptors are thinking. They, I don't know how much it played into it where they didn't trade Lowry for basically, you know, a poo-poo platter because they could still make the playing tournament also. And I think, you know, if you're the Raptors, they probably think they're just as good as they were in 2019 knowing those guys. Um, so I think it, I think that helps, but my thing with the playing tournament, the thing I like the most about the playing tournament is it stops the, the playoff seed tanking. You know how, like we always go through this little obstacle where teams are t trying to tank into seventh to get a better matchup, uh, tank to eighth or like, yep. you know, fifth to six. So now they're, because of tank, because of the playing tournament, there's this, um, disparity between what a six seed means and what a seven seed means, right? I don't think anyone's going to tank out of six into seven for a favorable matchup because you don't want to have anything to do with the play in tournament. And I do like that part about it. Um, I think at this point, 
um, anything that kind of helps like meritocracy. Like I want the regular season games to matter as much as possible. So I want, I like that the fourth seed matters more than the fifth seed because of home court. And now I like that the sixth seed matters more than the seventh seed because of the playing tournament. Um, obviously I like the seventh seed matters more because I'm assuming the seventh seed is the home team in the, in the yep. first play-on game they, probably. They would, they would host. Yep. Yeah, so like there, there's a little like disparity now between the seeds, and I, and I think that's uh, promising when it comes to every game mattering more. Um, but I don't, I, don't, I don't know. Do you think that – do you think that it's a permanent phenomenon? Because I also envision like we fast-forward five to ten years from now, and when the stat shows every 10th seed that's made the playoffs is like 0-10 with a 30-point <laughs> – point differential versus the first seed or something like that and then they'll just end up tanking anyway so i don't know how permanent it could be i I don't necessarily think we're going to see that i think just with a single game format there's going to be variance uh i mean look there's so many game ones we see like what was the orlando knocked off orlando every year basically toronto or every year right get that game one And, and i know if there's only one game teams will treat it differently but things can happen and so i i do think that that flukiness will play out to some extent i i like your point about the the sixth and seventh seed because that is a huge uh that's something that i don't think anyone's really talking about but there is such a big drop off if you have to go into that seventh seed and then put yourself in a single game play in right and sure if you lose that you get one more shot to stay in it against the ninth or tenth but really two games and you could be out of the playoffs and when you look at the bottom of these conferences like the seventh and eighth seed, seventh seed's the Mavericks in the West. Yeah. And when you look at the East, the seventh seed's the Celtics. So these these are teams that at the beginning of the season, you're talking about being contenders. And all of a sudden now they're a almost two games away from just being out of the playoffs entirely. Right. So that that adds an extra element of, of intrigue at that six to seven. And then the the eight to nine obviously is is important. It's always been important, but the ten to eleven now as well. And and one thing I don't like is the goalposts are moving for some of the bad organizations. And what I mean by that is, as a Kings fan, I want to make the playoffs, sure. And a playoffs would be a successful season. Sneaking into the playoff game or play-in game as a 10th seed and then losing, I don't want the organization to look at that as, you know, we're building on something. We made the, the playoffs with an asterisk. Um, <laughs> Dude, Luke the, Walton the- deserves to stay. And, and that's my worry is that organizations will treat this as kind of the equivalent of making the playoffs when it's still far removed from that. But the organizations have fans like you or in the last podcast, I think you ended with some dream scenario where the, where the Kings make it up into the playing tournament, the Lakers come down. And then you said, I think, I think the quote was it's within the realm of possibility that Fox <laughs> and Halliburton outplay LeBron and, and Davis so that that's what they're playing for they're playing for you did I say that you did say that man you say you say a lot of things on this podcast that i don't think you realize maybe i did say that yeah sure that's the pipe dream but i think ever even since then since the last time we recorded the kings probably lost another three games yeah and so my hopes for that have all gone out the window um but speaking of the playing tournament format i want to touch on that too because so we have this this concept of the seven versus the eight for one game, ninth versus the tenth for one game, and then the loser of the seven eight plays the winner of the nine ten to get the eighth seed. And so essentially, if you're in the seven or eight slot, you can lose once and still make it. But if you're in the nine ten slot, you can lose twice. 
Do you think that, given that this is the first time we're doing this format, do you have confidence that this is the right way to do it? Or is there another way you think would be more, um, a better way to kind of structure the, the play in tournament? So, I mean, at first I thought it, it was kind of fine because there are built-in advantages. Um, you know, with, you know, like the home court advantage of being, you know, seven or nine. And then obviously you only have to win one game if you're the seven or eight. But then, you know, like I was talking, um, like I was talking to our friend Unkit, right? And he, I don't know if this is like a popular thing, but he brought up, he'd like some kind of tiered um, mechanism where like if the eighth seed is way ahead of the ninth seed, like by five, six games at season's end, then why, why, why does the ninth seed still get to just waltz in and kind of take the eighth seed spot? Why, why can't there be some kind of threshold, four games, three games, whatever it is, where you can kind of, you know, wash your hands from this tournament and not have anything to do with it? So I do like, because I mean, it does make sense, you know, two games to ruin an entire season. If you're an eighth seed, you know, someone gets hurt during those two games, you know, uh, you know, Luca goes down for some reason for two games and all of a sudden the Mavs are out of the playoffs. Like things like that can be kind of, I mean, I guess that could happen in a regular playoff scenario too, but. I would like some extra protection if I'm the seventh or eighth seed. Um, but, but I, but at the same time, I don't want so much protection where these mediocre seventh and eighth seeds basically just get to join the playoffs without having some competition from the bottom. So I think some mix of what we have now versus some extra layer of protection would be probably ideal. I think the problem we're seeing is that the seventh and eighth seeds are just better these days because yeah uh, and i don't know i don't know any data to back this up right but i feel like in the last couple of years there's always a really good team sitting in that seventh and eighth seed and it's because maybe of an injury they had during the season um or they made a trade or you know so- something that kind of made them worse than they actually are uh as opposed to like 10 years ago i feel like the seventh and eighth seeds for the most part they yeah, there were a couple of years one year the warriors were like 48 and 34 and missed the playoffs right because even the seventh and eighth seeds are really good, but right. I, I feel like there's some really good teams in that that spot, and and it's weird to me that two games and you talk about oh you know um, an injury or something like that foul trouble right one foul game trouble. all of a sudden foul trouble you your playing time gets cut maybe you only play 25 minutes and all of a sudden you find yourself out of the tournament and and foul trouble is a finicky thing it could be the refs who are who are um, officiating at least with a full series you have a different refs every game, right? And there's enough games to kind of smooth out that variance. But you're going to have wonky things happen. And then if, can you imagine if a team like the Lakers, who the Lakers are still too good, they're getting Anthony Davis back, they're not going to be a seventh or eighth. But if they somehow lost, yeah, like the NBA, it would be disastrous for the NBA to lose that team, right? Right, right. Yeah, so... So yeah, so from that from that angle, it's just like, then why are they introducing it at all? Because I got I I understand they why they did it in the bubble because that season was kind of you know fragmented. But if you if you if you introduce it now, can you now go back next year and then just take it out? It's like what are we doing three three years in a row where where the play the playoff <laughs> structure is just changing? Um, so I think I mean it seems like this is going to be a permanent thing, and if it is. Like I said, yeah, you want to protect the top eight seeds a little bit more, probably, yeah, um, so that they don't, you know, run into run into these issues. Um, but 
the NBA yeah. is always the, the NBA is always weighing entertainment versus kind of competitive balance, and they're always skewing more and more towards entertainment. I feel like these days versus like you know sport, the the competitive sport aspect of it. So, you know, I think I think they want that NCAA wonky stuff to happen. And I, I actually think I think it's good. Like I think it should. I mean, it, like the whole point of this to have that single game elimination. We've never seen a single game elimination format in the NBA. Obviously, you have game sevens, but those are very different when you have the context of the entire series beforehand. All of a sudden, you have a single game elimination. The coaching matters, right? Because you um, you don't have time. I mean, the coaching matters in a long series too because whoever makes adjustments, but you have one game and you don't have much to go on. You, yeah. you don't have time to make adjustments. You have to put out the best lineups in that game itself. Um, and there's an excitement around it. Like, I, you know, last year, the Mem- who it was Memphis versus it was Memphis uh, Portland Portland right and yeah that was an exciting game yeah um, and I think this year just looking at the teams like you could have the Warriors the Mavericks um, potentially the Pelicans could sneak in like these are all teams that are going to draw high ratings and then yeah. Celtics Knicks Bulls Pacers. Um, and like you said, I don't know if it's going to be like this every year, but I think this year it's going to be a rousing success just based on the nature of teams that we have. And because of that, it might just become a staple of the playoffs. Like, I think because this year is going to probably be successful, they're going to keep it. Yeah. And I think it's like you, you mentioned that all those teams that are outside of eight and they're like, I mean, you could kind of say there's some quality to those teams. And, and this is something that we've talked about before, uh, just like, you know, not on the podcast, but you you've said that organizations as a whole are getting better. Like management teams across the league are getting smarter. So there's mm-hmm. there should be more confidence among the league, right? So the so it shouldn't be that rare for us to have you know every year twelve teams in each conference being somewhat respectable. Um, as as long as I think as long as we're at a point where like a, a ten seed beating a, a seven seed or something like that isn't just so outrageous from a talent perspective. Where it's like the Pelicans beating the Mavs, that's not crazy, you know. So if that yep. if that upset does happen, it's still, you know, I think it's still it do, it's not a total fluke. It doesn't seem like the the plan tournament is like a total sham or whatever. Um, and I think there's probably a hope for that kind of being the case. I don't think we're gonna see you know these like like right now if the Wizards right made the tournament or whatever or the yeah. plan tournament with just I mean I don't even know if they have 20 wins yet, but like that's the kind of stuff you don't want to see right yeah um i think it's moving the right way at least organizationally yeah i mean it is and you know like like you said about the 12 teams actually being quality teams i think one of the reasons for that this year is like sacramento perfect example and i don't like using sacramento because they're not a smart franchise so i don't know if this was all by design but if they didn't have the ninth or tenth seed to play in they're so far away from eight they probably trade barns they probably do a fire sale which I would have actually liked, but because they still see themselves as being competitive, you keep your team together. And I think for the league, for a fan as of that team who wants to tank and get a better draft pick, that might suck. For the league as a whole, if you're telling me that only three teams in each conference are tanking and the other ones are all trying to put together the best roster, trying to field like the best, the most talented team every night in and night out and are playing hard until the end of the season... I think that's amazing. Yeah, that's great. And so it, it'll be interesting to see these last couple of weeks because normally you, the last couple of weeks in the NBA season are such a 
Um, like what's exciting about them is the seeding in the for the playoff teams, but the teams that are 13, 14, 12, 11, it's they don't care. They start shutting guys down. You start seeing some tanking happening. Um, but I think this year there's going to be uh, a lot to watch in, in yeah. the bottom of the bracket, yeah. or bottom of the conferences. I agree. I agree. Sorry. And like the, the problem is there were so many tanking teams before that like you look at the NBA schedule like when it was May or like end of April, early May, and it's just like there's so many bad games on TV. Like every even when the contenders are playing, they're playing one of these tanking teams. It's like it's unwatchable yeah. basketball. It's like I don't want to watch this. So that should be better. Exactly. Um, and so speaking of speaking of how we're seeing just much better play across the entire conference or majority of the teams in the conference, one of the things I've started to look at um, as we get closer, you know, about only 20 games left in the season is the seeding and trying to start to see what are the, the potential matchups, first round matchups, second round matchups. And you start trying to chart the different paths each team has. I'm sure as a Lakers fan, that's been top of mind because the Lakers could finish anywhere from three to seven, um, yeah. depending on how the rest of the season plays out. But so let's start there with the Western conference. Uh, you know, looking at the seating today um, where right now it's jazz Suns, then Clippers nuggets in the four Lakers in the five, then blazers Mavericks and Grizzlies rounding it out. We're talking about a Suns Mavericks first round, assuming they get out of the play in um, the nuggets Lakers first round, which is the way the nuggets are playing. And after Aaron Gordon, is going to be a tough matchup. Clippers, Blazers, and and Jazz, Grizzlies, and so what are your what are your, some of your thoughts on what is the worst <laughs> first round matchup that could happen for some of these teams? Like I think right now the Lakers playing the Nuggets would probably there be their worst case scenario, or if they slip to six and play the Clippers, that's also a disaster. But uh, what are your thoughts as you look at the standings today? I think pretty much all of it is bad. Right. Like the problem right now is that three, four and five are, are the three best teams in the conference. And there's probably no path to seven and there's and there's probably no path to two. So your only hope of getting a friendly first round matchup is if you end up in that three seed and then Portland stays in that six. Because yep. I think Portland mm-hmm. is I mean, Portland is very beatable, as we've seen year after year. But. I don't want to play the Nuggets. I don't want to play Clippers. The Clippers don't want to play the Nuggets. The Clippers don't want like none of these teams want to play each other. But one of them is going to have to play the other in the first round, and that's going to be really, really bad. So I think you have to get three, and then but then if you get three and Portland makes like a regular season run, and then you end up with Denver anyways. So it's like it's not good. It's it's not good. It's going to be really hard. It's going to be much harder than last year, I think, barring any injuries. So the only thing that I hope for, and I think it does matter. This isn't one of those um, years where it's like Davis, LeBron, come back healthy. We're so much better than every – like I think we are better than every other team, but we're not so much better where I'm not worried that the Nuggets can't take us out, right? Like I think we're like 65-35, 65% chance we win that series. But 35% is a lot too. So I would want the easiest team possible, and I think it does matter who we play. Um, but other than Portland, like I don't really see an easy matchup here. And Utah's got the one seed locked up. I guess Dallas can catch Portland, but that, I mean, that's, I guess that's not that bad either. That roster kind of sucks after Luca, but. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, there's, a, there's a lot of games to be 
played still, so it's a little early. But I, I think what you said is right. There's there's only two teams I think every West team is dying to play. Um, I, when I say every West team, the top five, who I think are the three through five are the traditional contenders. One and two are the ones who've had phenomenal seasons and would be contenders this year. Everyone wants to play Portland or some combination of the Grizzlies, Spurs, um, you know, depending on those two. The teams no one wants to play, you know, obviously Dallas. And I'd even look, the Warriors are bad, but um, you wouldn't want to go up against the Warriors either just because they might get an extra game because of, of Steph and, and the, he, him playing out of his mind um, and making a series longer than it should be. But to your point with the play-in game, I think the, the most fascinating thing is even if you're trying to avoid Dallas in the seventh slot, if you're Jazz or, or Utah or Phoenix, right? The, the Dallas Mavericks could slip into eight just by yeah. virtue of losing the first playing game and winning the first playing game. So there's only so much jostling you can do to avoid teams. Yeah, And I, I think this uh, in past years, we've seen teams deliberately lose, try to get into a specific slot, um, I think it's going to be harder this year because you said, like you said, there's not a lot of ideal matchups. And the Lakers, if they're at five, they're playing the Nuggets. If they're at six, they're playing the Clippers. And at that point, does it really matter? <laughs> it doesn't matter, right? Exactly. So I'm um, yeah, so, but yeah. is is it too cliche to say that if if you're Utah or Phoenix, you basically don't want to play any like you don't want to play anybody because they're not believable teams as contenders or have people kind of just bought into those two teams now as like, honestly, if it's Phoenix versus uh, Portland, even like, I'm not even sure I like Phoenix in the, in that playoff series. <laughs> like they're look at their roster. It's so green. Like they're like, yes, they have Chris Paul, but everybody else is so green. Like their roster is like, it mirrors more like New Orleans roster than it does like a Denver's. You know what I mean? Just like I'm not confident in Phoenix to be of beating like Dallas or Portland, or maybe even I don't know San Antonio if, if that's still a thing. But I would be worried if I was them. I guess Utah, you could be kind of worried, but um, there's every series is going to be in question. I think, except for Lakers, Portland, that's a sweep. Yeah, I mean, there's no reason to believe Utah or Phoenix at this point. I mean. Utah maybe a little bit, but Phoenix especially where um, I think the, their biggest strength this season, obviously Chris Paul's made a big difference, but there is their depth. Um, and they, they get a lot of quality minutes from a lot of guys, but they're green, like you said. And I don't know if I'd trust them in a playoff series, even against Portland, who uh, they're going to get into these tight games. And, and Dame has shown time after time that um, he can win. And you know how I feel about Portland, and I, <laughs> I don't think they're going anywhere. But... I also don't. I'm, I'm not as high on Phoenix either, despite how well they played in the regular season. So, um, let, let's flip to the East real quick. I think the East is a little bit more, or not more interesting, but it's interesting because it's flipped quite a bit throughout the season. Um, the you know the Sixers, Nets, and Bucks have have always been kind of the top three, but we saw the Heat start off the season slow and climb all the way back up, and then. You know, they, they've fallen apart a little bit lately. Celtics started off hot, fell apart. Hawks are now on a surge. Um, what are your thoughts on how the Eastern Conference is shaping up as you look at the standings? What, what a funny sentence. The Hawks are on a surge. And then I look at the record, 27 and 25. 
I mean, they were look. They were yeah. They were bad. Yeah. Early in the season. I know. I know. So I think the East is. I think that's going to be fun too, mostly because the Hornets and Hawks are sitting there at the four and five, kind of just taking up those spots. So now you kind of you have the top three dudes of you know Brooklyn, Philly, Milwaukee, and then at the bottom three, it's it's like Miami, who I don't think anybody wants to play, Boston, who you know they 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 they're having a rough time right now, but they've been deep into the playoffs. Like they know how to play playoff basketball. Brad Stevens. By the way, Brad Stevens uh, is as good as a top five NBA player. Have you heard? <laughs> <laughs> but like, they have Brad Stevens. They have a like. I think the Raptors could still get in there. I mean, they're two games out. But like, if, imagine if it's six, seven, eight. It's Miami, Boston, and Toronto, and it's just like those are three really tough. I think first round matchups. I think I mean Brooklyn's like overpowered at this point. But especially if you're like Philly, who. I still don't trust in a, you know, a close playoff series. Um, Mm -hmm. And then Milwaukee, obviously, you know, everyone knows the story on Milwaukee. So it's like, like, that's not going to be fun for those, for those couple of teams with the way it's shaping up right now. Um, Miami, especially, I think Miami can beat any of these teams if they're fully healthy. Yeah. And, and I mean, the way it's seated right now, the Bucks would play the heat in the first round, which would be the worst case (laughs) scenario for them. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I think with the East, what's interesting is uh, it's really one through three, and then uh, eight's Knicks, but six and seven are the teams I'd be worried about. The Hawks and the Hornets are kind of lucky that they're right now that they're kind of slotted where they are if they had to play each other, um, because both those teams aren't going past the second round. That is the most NBA TV series I've ever seen. Probably that in my that life. straight NBA TV <laughs> that you know the. Tuesday, 4.30 p.m. like slot on NBA like, TV. They're not even displacing TNT Snowpiercer or whatever <laughs> that whatever that show is. Yeah, that, that is, is not going to be watchable. But um, the, the other interesting one, obviously, is the Bulls because they they started off, what, 0-3 with Vooch. Uh, I think they won their last two. Um, they're, you know... Still a couple games out, but they're a team that also, I think, on paper, talent-wise, and Billy Donovan's not a bad coach, if they can use these last 20 games to really incorporate Vooch, Patrick Williams continues to be great. Zach Levine obviously has had a stellar season. That's another team that none of these uh, contenders really want to face in the first round, but they might have to. Right. Yeah. The the problem is is their most likely path is probably the eighth seed, and I think Brooklyn's going to end up with that one seed. And I, I mean, it's, honestly, it's looking more and more like Brooklyn might be a tier above Philly yeah. and Milwaukee at this point. So, you know, if the Bulls kind of got into a matchup with the Sixers or Milwaukee, I think that's somewhat interesting. But Brooklyn would probably wipe wipe the floor with them. Do you like Do you like a Philly more? Or do you like uh, Milwaukee more? As as like I like Philly. You like you so you did you like them last year? I like Philly last year. I like Philly this year. Okay, I have to say Milwaukee, the way they've been playing lately has got me kind of maybe thinking they could have a different run this postseason. I think Drew Holiday really is that big of a difference maker for them. Yeah. Um, And kind of the pick and roll they're able to run with him and Giannis is something that I think in the postseason, it's going to be more effective than what they've been doing. And like, if you think about the Bledsoe to Holiday, just like leap, (laughs) um, they're going to be much better this year. 
but Philly, I think we forgot how good Philly was when Embiid was was playing because he's been out for a couple of weeks. I just I just love what they're able to do on defense, and then I don't know who's gonna like. I trust them going against Milwaukee. Yeah, the problem with both of these teams, and not not even head to head, but just in general, is I really hate the offenses like in playoffs where at the end of a close game you are so reliant on getting the ball to your big man. Yeah. Right. And this is Philly's problem. Like every time I watch Philly in a close game, it's like your options are some subpar perimeter player trying to create their own offense. And like Tobias Harris, for some reason, falls into subpar territory during the playoffs. But it's either that or you give it to Embiid like 25 feet away from the basket. And now you have this like this seven foot one guy ISO wing, like working on fumes because he's been carrying the team for the whole game and it just ends up being like very ugly offense or like a double team and an Embiid turnover and it's like I don't know if that part has changed for Philly it, it hasn't and and I you're totally right about their late game offense um it's kind of Embiid or bust but and it's funny because he'll get it remember that one game where he got it down on the block tries posting up he's not getting anything brings it dribbles it back <laughs> out and then hits that three yeah it's it's not even like okay if they don't get a look down low they kick it back out to Tobias and he creates it's like no matter what Embiid is gonna either post someone down or he's going to iso on the three-point line <laughs> or shoot a fadeaway jumper and it's and Embiid still looks like his conditioning has gotten a lot better um compared to where it was a couple years ago and yeah. you know, some of the concerns we had there but this dude in the playoffs once again is going to be gassed at the end of a series when it's game six, game seven. And I, I just know, and a late it, series like, too. Like you brought this probably you run into this stuff like the like you run into this stuff in the conference finals. It's like there's how are you ever going to like overcome that? Yeah, and and you know there was a hope a couple years ago where I mean Simmons used to be a twenty point per game guy, right? And there was a hope that look he's going to develop the shot, he's going to start hitting the three, he's going to take some of that offensive burden off of Embiid. Clearly, that's never going to happen. If anything, it's gone the opposite direction. Um, so, yeah, like that's that's the worry still with this team. And and Tobias Harris is still not um, trusted in those situations. So, yeah, which is why like you get into a series with Boston. Boston can probably play you close. And now it's like, like now they have Tatum getting hot at the end of a game, and you have you know these Embiid twenty five footers. So, I don't know. Philly is. I mean, I thought Philly was going to make the finals last year, so maybe I'm just too burned by that horrible pick. Yeah, and and I mean, who knows? Like Doc Rivers is is the coach. I don't know if that matters at all in any of this, but um, that only matters when you're up three one. In, in which <laughs> case, you've ensured the loss. Yeah, but I mean, he he's still an upgrade over Brett Brown. Um, yeah, I mean, if you think they had Brett Brown last year, who it's who's not even coaching now, so. <laughs> um, yeah, it, I, the East is going to be interesting. This is easily the most interesting year in terms of the playoffs we've had yeah. in the last, I don't know, how many years, right? 2025, because in each conference, you have at least three bona fide contenders, although, like you said, the Nets might be in a tier above. Um, but then you they, have a slew of teams who are or have been there or are talented enough to make a run. Yeah, I mean, and just being a tier above isn't like, I mean, it's not like, the other teams don't have a chance, right? They they still no. they could still pull out a series. And I, what I love about the playoffs this year, like we talked about, is it's like right from the get go. I think the playoffs, pretty much every series is gonna, most series are gonna be really fun to watch. And like they could change the shift the landscape. You could like a contender would could be knocked out of the first round, like just like that. So 
Yeah, be which fun. which rarely happens. Yeah. So speaking speaking of that, uh, and, and we're I know we're talking about a lot of contenders now. So let's go deep into the Lakers because obviously you are a Lakers super fan, as we talked about on the last pod. Like um, you are very in tune with this team, watching every game. Still don't appreciate LeBron as much as I wish you would, but that's you know for another time to talk about. Let's let's start here. Um, clearly, the Lakers are. It's been a weird season. AD out, LeBron playing at an MVP level before getting injured, um, and this team trying to tread water. AD hopefully will come back soon. But what is your? Let's start with the AD injury. Do you have any concern? Um, about this being something more serious than the team is putting out there and something that may impact the postseason run? Or do you think he's going to be fine? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say because there's, like, no reports out whatsoever. The feeling, like, the feeling I'm getting is that it's not that serious. Um, I mean, it, it's a calf strain. Like, it, it, when they were originally talking Achilles, that sounded scary because a lot of the times, you know, players will – have an Achilles strain and then that thing like never heals. And it's like, that's such a sensitive part of your body that, um, you know, you're always at risk of a tear or something crazy. Calf strain I'm sure is also bad, but it doesn't have that same kind of serious uh, tone to it. And, and AD is also like, he is so visible, like on the bench, pretty much every game he's traveling on the road trips. Like he doesn't look, I mean, obviously there's a difference between playing basketball and just sitting there and cheering on the team. But like, he doesn't look like he is going like extensive therapy or, or something like that where he needs to heal and recover and they're up against the clock or anything like that. I think they're just being super conservative. And I think it's for the same reasons that, you know, like what, what Brooklyn is doing where, you know, we saw Harden, he, I guess had tightness in his hamstring and now they're like, all right, he's out for 10 days just cause they can like, like a lot of these teams, they don't really care whether they're one, two, three, four, five at this point. And so it's like, why not rest these players and kind of just use the last 15 games as a warm-up period like they did in the bubble? You know, they took four months off. Everyone kind of got healthy. They played those 10 games. It was kind of ugly during those 10 games, but that's all it took for them to kind of just start, like, you know, get all their all their chemistry back and things are good after that. So I think they're kind of using that as a playbook, and they're just going to bring these guys back for the, you know, 10, 15-game stretch, not really care where the seedings are. Um so I'm not worried. I I think, like, if I'm gonna be worried about the AD injury, then it then the, the Nets fans need to be worried about the KD injury, right? It's kind of so so similar where it's like they have these injuries. We haven't seen them in two months, but there's not really anything kind of coming out that's saying, you know, there's a setback or he tried to practice and now they're gonna lay off of him again. Um, so I, I'm just gonna take it as they're both gonna be fine and and just assume that's what the matchup is gonna be like. Two healthy AD, healthy KD. Here's the concern, though, right? AD has had a lengthy injury history. Um, now, this is not the same, right? It, it's different, but... Or I'm, I think it's different, right? It's not related it's, to anything he's had in the past. I don't think it's related to anything in the past. And then in his past life, he... Like, the way he treats injuries or has treated injuries with the Lakers has been way different. Because I always used to knock him for how often he would miss games or sit out because of an injury. And then versus... With the Lakers, like he, I've seen him like sprain his, like remember in the playoffs when he like had that really bad sprained yeah. ankle, and then yeah. I was like, oh no, here he goes again, and then all of a sudden he's just like got that LeBron HGH juice in him, and he's back at full throttle. So I think 
like I don't think this is him being extra soft or like his body breaking down. I really think it's like a decision from the top. Yeah, I mean, that would, which would make sense. And we always talked about it. Um, you know, Nathan and I talked about this too before the season even started. That this was a season the Lakers were not going to, given that they're just a couple months off their championship win. Uh, no need to rush anything. No need to push these guys too hard. They know what they have. They know what they could do in the playoffs. So if there is an injury, you you slow play it. Right. That being said, uh, you know Anthony Davis in the beginning of the season didn't look that great. Uh, I think from most accounts, I only watched a couple of games of the Lakers, obviously. But what were your what was your take on him early season? Because I, I heard that he was not having the same defensive impact from what I saw. You know, offensively too, he was struggling a bit, and maybe that's just a product of you know, the start of a new season? Or do you think that there's something more serious? No, see, like, so that actually gives me more confidence that this injury isn't serious because I really think he was just, like, half-assing it during the beginning of the season because he could, right? And it's really similar to last year, I think, where in the beginning of the – like, it's really funny. The beginning of the season last year, LeBron was kind of coasting, like, really coasting. And, and Davis was, like, putting up monster numbers and a monster performance. And I really think they were trying to give Davis, like, an MVP or at least a defense. Like, I think they were trying to give him an MVP push. And he was kind of there until, you know, Giannis ran away with it. But this year has kind of been the reverse, where now I think LeBron this year is way better than regular season LeBron last year. He's clearly going harder on both sides of the court. Davis is taking a step back. And I think they kind of knew that this is going to be, like, a LeBron MVP push. So, it like, I'm not worried that you know, Davis is worse this year or broken down this year versus last year. I just think it's totally gear shifting. Yep. Yeah, that but, makes sense. And But what does worry ahead. me though, what does worry me is, and this is my, this was my concern before the season started. And, it's, and I'm still worried about it right now is I think the date, and you know me, I'm a big uh, bubble skeptic, right? I think yeah. that Anthony <laughs> Davis that we saw in the bubble was, was much better than like baseline Anthony Davis. And I'm worried we don't get that guy again. And, and I think that is going to screw us in the playoffs if that's the case, because like, have you seen the stats on Anthony Davis in the bubble? I, yeah. I was, yeah, I was like looking at it today. They were saying like, usually he's like a 33 to 35% mid range shooter, which is kind of where he is during his career in the bubble. He was closer to 50%. He was like at Durant levels. And then he was taking those shots 20 to 25% more, which means basically we were relying on him more, which makes sense. In a playoffs, you're not getting as many easy buckets, so you kind of go to your trump card. And for us, our trump card is like Davis one-on-one mid-range, which is not a great trump card because he's not that good at it. But in the bubble, he was on fire. And then like I kind of think last season, he wasn't that good at it. Beginning of this season, he wasn't that good at it. So like, what are we going to get? Um, and that's that's worrisome. So, you know, talking about your bubble theory, and for those who don't know, Nail <laughs> is a big believer in the idea that all the big shooting performances, big games we saw last year in the bubble were a product of, of the empty gym, no pressure, no crowd. For sure. Um, and so it's inflated our perceptions of a lot of these guys, like the Jamal Murrays and Donovan Mitchells who were going off for 50. Um, now, I, okay, I think there's some definitely some stock to that theory. Anthony Davis, though, like I think when you're talking about the elite top five, ten guys, do you think and who's been in the league for a while, how is the that affecting him? It's just I feel like he'd shoot the same. 
He, but he didn't because I was watching all the games and we would literally complain when he would settle for mid-range jumpers, like during the season. Like it just wasn't a good shot. Um, and then he was taking those same shots in the bubble and he had a historic like conversion rate. And I don't think that happened over the four month break. I think like he makes those shots in the bubble and in, in like real basketball environment or with travel or whatever it is, you kind of just get what we've seen throughout his entire career. I, I mean, I like it's kind of like when Rondo shot 50 percent from three or whatever during <laughs> during those couple of series. It's like he can make those shots in an empty gym. But then there's the entire rest of his career where he's, you know, 30 percent or whatever pitiful percentage he is. And it's just it. I would like to see it again before I put more stock into it. And, and like we're not going to get an answer until these playoffs start. But I am fully expecting much worst performances by all those bubble heroes tyler hero number one <laughs> by the way <laughs> number one product of the uh, yeah empty gym theory. now you can't even you can't even get james harden because of his bubble performance that i, I will never <laughs> understand that and i was i was on that trade early on i was like dude people are forgetting sleeping on Harden. but anyways i've i've beaten that point to death on several pods um <laughs> Let's okay. So the Lakers, we talked about AD. Let's talk a little bit about LeBron because um, I love to talk about LeBron. And it's no secret that he's he's played really well this year. And like you said, he's engaged defensively. And I, I think with LeBron, it, it's never been a oh he's made a leap in his game. It's more of an effort thing. And when he wants to, and when he's motivated, he can turn it on. Right. That being said, is there anything that he's added this year, or the way he's playing within the team that you think? might be something that works well for the playoffs or it gives you extra hope for what this team can do this season in the postseason. I see. I don't think he's doing anything different or like the only, I mean, honestly the best takeaway and the most promising thing is he's still just as good as he was in last year's playoffs. And honestly, if you get that, then you don't really need anything else. Like you don't need like LeBron James does not have to take a next step or an, like <laughs> add an element to his game right at this point. All you're hoping for is that he's just as good as he was in the last playoffs. Um, the problem is, I mean, not even the problem, but like him being as good as he was in the last playoffs, like he was really, really good, but that's not like 2013 LeBron's. Like it's still a step down from, you know, peak LeBron, I think, just based on, mostly based on like his half court offense. Like if he's the sole creator because, you know, Davis isn't doing anything really. I don't think that's a great offense to rely on in the playoffs. Um, I, but really the most important thing for him is like when he buys into defense, this is like, like old news now, but when he buys into defense, like the Lakers defense is off the charts. It's insane how good our defense is when he's engaged. Davis is always engaged. And then like every role player, like they all like love LeBron. So as he goes, they go. So, I mean, it's, it's just encouraging that he still has that in him. And I think, I think that's going to be the case in the playoffs also. So speaking of role players, I want to move to the rest of the roster because the Lakers clearly made some, you know, some tweaks this off season, bringing in uh, Trez, bringing in Mark Gasol, um, Schroeder, and obviously they lost Rondo Howard, some other pieces. So they, that rotation is going to look a lot different this postseason. So what are your thoughts on, how the, the new pieces on this team have gelled, what you think is going to be critical to that playoff rotation moving forward, and um, what they might have lost 
that yeah. they don't have this year that they had last year. Yeah. So like, I still think, I think, I think everyone said that they were better this year than last year. And then we kind of saw some choppy periods during the regular season. And then people were like, Oh no, there's no <laughs> rim protector. They miss Howard and McGee. I still think they are way better this year. Now, okay. They're, they're, they're better this year than they were last year. And that's because I think our biggest weakness is less of a weakness. Like I, I'm telling you, this half court offense thing, it worries me. And I think when you have Schroeder, that's at least some semblance of an option in the half court. You know, Montrezl Hill, he can at least score in the half court. He can at least rebound one horrible KCP pull up three in transition for a bucket. He could do that much at least. So I think our our weakness, the the floor to our weakness is a little bit higher. Um. And then defensively, yeah, we don't have a rim protector, but like, dude, have you? Our defensive rating is still elite. Like, they're still number one, even during these injured, uh, like when Davis and LeBron have been out. I think they're two or three since that period of time. Dude, Frank Vogel just has it. He knows how to coach defenses. All these guys, like, they play hard on defense, and like, we have no inside presence as a as a rim protector but i don't think it matters as much as people think and the biggest thing that we lost is probably like some of that like that goon goonish element you know all the crap that dwight howard <laughs> yeah. was doing all the yeah. antics all that like just um just like repeatedly kind of getting in people's faces and things like that i think we lose that but like like i don't i don't need to be winning championships off the back of like you know Ken, the kendrick perkins role or whatever yeah. the whatever the hell that is. Like I'm okay with us not having that. Yeah, I mean what you said about the defensive identities is totally true. And I saw it firsthand in that Lakers Kings game where the Kings are good offense as bad as the Kings are, they're a great, great offensive team. And the Lakers put the clamps down on them and the way they were flying around in defense, like Kuzma was was flying around making plays. And I was like, I don't think I, and I don't know, it just shows that the whole team is bought in, even when LeBron and AD are on the floor. So yeah. I think that does is promising. The one question I have, though, is the big man rotation. You guys brought in Drummond. Um, Marcus Saul lately has had some flashes uh, of good play, but he's not getting the minutes. And so what do you think Vogel's going to do there with the Drummond, Gasol? Like, how's... Um, or did any, like who's going to get that crunch time playoff minutes, do you think? Um like I like it does does it matter in the playoffs when Anthony Davis at the five is clearly the best option? Like like when he plays the five, we're so good on defense. Like the way we can trap guards and have him cover up all this because he's so quick, have him cover up all the mistakes. Like I don't like I don't really know if Drummond versus Gasol versus like any of those any of these guys matters. Um as much as like having AD in the back. It doesn't have. It doesn't matter in the crunch time, but you know, Dwight Howard gave you some good minutes off the bench, and and you know there are periods in which you can kind of survive eighty, yeah, uh, less minutes. So wondering who's going to be that guy this year for you? So I think I mean it's probably going to be Drummond. Drummond and Harrell are basically the same player at, at this yeah. point, just like rebounding machines that shoot one foot away from the basket. Um, I think I think Gasol. Probably has a, he's he's a much better defender than those two guys even even now, um, so he probably has some role in terms of like in the second quarter like if we have a second unit out there but we need to like stabilize the defense I could just see us putting in Gasol in there and then you know just buying minutes for Davis and LeBron but um, 
I'm honestly like if, if any one of those guys are on the court, I'm not worried. Like I, and I'm a big I'm a big proponent of this. Like you got to limit the number of minutes where you're worried about a person on the court. And I don't think we have that on the roster. Like when we when we put in, you know, like Morris, then I'm then I'm worried, you know, and or, you know, God forbid we put in Macklemore. Or any or or any of those guys. When we were putting in J.R. Smith and Dion Waiters last year, that's when I worried. But like Gasol, Drummond, and Harrell, I'm not worried at all. Yeah, fair, fair. I mean, Macklemore, that that was the uh, clutch sports at it again. Of course, of course. <laughs> um, so okay, so let's talk about as we look to the postseason. I and to me, there are a couple teams I think the Lakers don't want to play. One is the Clippers, and not because they're scared of the Clippers, but just because that's still a very talented team. A couple wings that are going to put a lot of pressure on you guys. Um, and the Nuggets, who have been lights out recently with the addition of Aaron Gordon. And Aaron Gordon low-key has been somewhat of a LeBron stopper the past couple of years. I, I mean, no one ever thinks about it because Orlando probably gets stomped by LeBron every time they play each other and in the regular season. But... Uh, his his metrics against LeBron, he's actually one of the most effective players at slowing him down. Yeah, and he's he's played well defensively, um, you know, in this recent stretch with the Nuggets, and he's been really a great addition offensively uh, because he's brought down his usage and his efficiency has shot up, and so he's having similar scoring outputs, but just way more efficient and within the flow of the offense, and with Jokic kind of leading being the linchpin of that offense you have murray and gordon now who can kind of play off of him they're scary so clippers nuggets and then you have utah and phoenix who while no one believes in them they've still been very good this year so out of those teams uh which one do you think is going to get the lakers the most trouble or which one are you scared yeah the, the one team that i would want to play the least is still Dude, Denver makes it hard, but I think it's still the Clippers. Um, like, so last year, I know what happened in the bubble, but honestly, if you asked me, like, if you run that se- season back like a hundred times, m- most times we run into the Clippers in the playoffs, and out of those times, I think more than fifty to sixty percent of the percent of the time, the Clippers beat us, right? So I wow. think the Clippers were better like, than us last year. Um, so now this year, I think they got worse, and I think we got better. Um, so I'm less scared of them now. But Kawhi and Le- and Kawhi and Paul George, these are like the exact defenders that I don't want to see in the half court uh, when we're when we have the ball. Um, I don't really think we have the size on the perimeter to just stop a bunch of ISO plays, which they're pretty good at. Um, and so, like, if they're, like I said, Davis mid-range is our trump card, but if their trump card is just a Kawhi ISO, we have either KCP guarding him or, I mean, sometimes Alex Caruso was out there. Like, I don't like any of those matchups. Um, so that still worries me. But I'm t- but that Denver and that Aaron Gordon si- uh, signing or trade, that, they look really good, too. Yeah. I mean, Denver to me now, and... You know, you can talk about Jamal Murray. He's not going to have the same performance. I forgot he was on the roster. I forgot he was on the roster when I said that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Michael, Michael Porter Jr. has also kind of settled into his role, and 
He's um, become more of a spot up shooter in that offense. He's so much Not better with Aaron. Yeah, but but yeah, like it, with Aaron Gordon, everything is it's just putting less pressure on the rest of the on everyone, and um, it's another option for Jokic to pass to. I, I think they're good, and Jokic has he has taken his game to another level. Um, yeah, we he's always been good, but he's playing at an insane. The question for Jokic has always been, what's that ceiling look like? Can he be a superstar superstar? Yeah. I had that question in the last couple of years, and this year he's proven it. So But uh, he I mean, has the season. he has the makeup, I feel like, because they always throw around like these like his performance and the clutch. And he's like off the charts in close games and like clutch performance. So it's not like I don't see him as being someone that's like scared to take over a game. Like a, to, no. or to take over a playoff game. So like I feel like it's in him somewhere. But but I think that aggressiveness wasn't always there. I think it started really last postseason yeah. um, was when they started running things through him more like end of game situations. And, yeah. and this year, clearly they're really leaning heavily on him. Yeah. Um, but so you're, you, Utah. Phoenix. Oh man. I wish, I hope, <laughs> I hope, I hope like, so how would it work if we're, let's say we're the three seed, So we would play, uh, we would play the two seed. In the, in the second round? Yeah, you'd play Phoenix. Yeah, see, like, give me some of that. Give me that Portland-Phoenix pathway. <laughs> that's that's uh, yeah, yeah, that's I'm, the best path. I'm liking that, yeah. I, I, <laughs> I'm liking that. Um, I mean, because, like, how do like, I don't, I can't, I can't even close my eyes and imagine how Phoenix beats us four times. Like, Devin Booker is, is what? He, yeah. A top five it, player during that series? Like, how does that even happen? It's not happening. It's not <laughs> happening. The, the The crazy thing is the way things are shaking out. I really think that Clippers, Nuggets, Lakers, one, two of those teams are going to play each other in the first round. I, yeah. I just think it's it's inevitable because the Jazz and Suns, I think, are pretty much going to be locked in. Um, given no injuries happen down the stretch, they're going to yeah. stay there. And so you, it's either the Clippers versus the Nuggets, which is a rematch <laughs> of last postseason. Yeah, it's the Nuggets versus the Lakers, which is a rematch of the Western Conference Finals last year, or it's Clippers Lakers, the matchup we've all been dreaming for. It's in the, yeah, yeah, dude. After, in the first round, <laughs> since talking to you about all this, like I hope, I hope the Lakers listen to this pod because, like, this whole time we've been saying like they don't care about seeding, but they might, they should. I think that three seed is looking more and more important now that I think about yeah. That Portland I think, Phoenix I think all these teams need to gun for <laughs> this this might have to I might have to first I might have to create a, a Twitter handle and then I might have to drop a tweet to, to LeBron uh, please do I need, I need LeBron to listen to this LeBron if you're listening <laughs> or um, or or you could kiss your goat you know your goat argument goodbye as they fall to <laughs> Nikola Jokic in the first no, round. What, well, look, look. I, I'm i not rooting for the Lakers. I don't want the Lakers to win. I actually think it would be cool if the Nets won. The Nets? Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't want them to win. I'd, I want the Sixers, you know, or one of these other teams, anyone but the Nets. But um, there's some interesting narratives of the Nets win. But but my what I was going to say is that the Lakers, if they play the Nets, and the Nets will be the favorite in that series, I would think. Um, depends on how they get there. Yeah. If LeBron beats that next team, <laughs> I, 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 what argument is there? I don't care. The biggest 
Jordan stands, you can say, okay, Jordan has six, LeBron has five. But if you go through that Nets team and assuming they're healthy, you beat that team as well. All of a sudden, that resume looks. So I think, yeah, I think, good. I think if the Nets get there the way they're supposed, like convincing fashion, yeah, um, and all those players are are you know basically like if every player on both rosters is healthy and LeBron out alphas everybody on the court like to get to Finals MVP, then like like I like I'm a big you know you got to put context on the ring count. Right. Um, yep. And that's yeah. I mean, that's got to be that ring has got to weigh a lot more than almost any ring in NBA history, I guess. Um, but is that going to happen, or is Anthony Davis the true best player of the Los Angeles Lakers? <laughs> no, please, going to please. going to actually lead them to, to the championship. We'll see. We'll see. But that you know what that'll be fascinating if if a Lakers Nets finals would shatter. Well, I don't know if it'll shatter records given the way record the um or ratings given the way they've been trending for the NBA, but yeah. uh on paper that should be that the best be... matchup. I'm still I'm still I still have hope that Cavs. I still have hope that, you know, James Harden, he looks awesome and the Nets look awesome, but haven't we seen this before? And can't he still oh, come on, it's not do it. he can still he can still turn into playoff James Harden. It could still happen. Why not? What why not? Because that was a team built completely around him generating a bucket, and dude, and this and this offense kind of looks like it's gen- it's revolving around him. Gen- just he's just generating buckets for Kyrie and 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 Durant, but yeah, he doesn't have to do it himself. But if he gets what was all, that Rockets team doing? If he gets lazy and if he gets like he doesn't want to play the creator role and it just turns into a bunch of Durant and Kyrie isos, I could see that happening. Yeah, but that's not a like that's the Nets failing maybe because of that, but it's not like Harden failing. It's, no, it would be Harden not being aggressive, and then the offense just instead of it being like Harden the point point guard Harden offense, it's the Kyrie Irving point guard offense or something like that. Just because oh, Harden. Yeah. I mean, at late games, I think Kyrie's going to be more of the shot creator than Harden will be. Same with Durant. Like Harden will be the third option, I think, late in the game. Yeah, I I mean I don't I'm I so hope Giannis does this even if or even if Philly does I hope one of these uh, yeah one of these one of these you know homegrown teams I mean this is getting ridiculous <laughs> like, even if Denver won the championship I would not be mad even if it meant like them beating the Clippers and the Lakers like it'd just be a nice story for one of these teams to win. Look. Yeah, and and that's the narrative I think that gets lost. Everyone talks about LeBron teaming up, um, what he's had to deal with in terms of other teams gearing up. Even a team like Denver, like retooling a little bit with Aaron Gordon, like he they didn't have like Stockton him alone ran back that same crappy <laughs> Jazz team every year, and just you know the couple of years they get to the finals, it lose and then it's done. Uh, the competition's much different, like teams retool all the time and so if lebron can win this year well, Lakers team, can win this year teams are retooling because he's starting this arms race yeah, <laughs> of like if it oh dude it totally is no totally is but um all right anyways that uh you know good to get your thoughts on the lakers it's still early on in the season um we'll see how things shape out any any final thoughts before we wrap up on uh on the season lakers I mean, I 
the season is crawling by at this point. It's I cannot believe there's still 20 games left. Um, like I'm watching, I'm watching this like Utah Phoenix game. It's 96, 97 right now with two minutes left in the fourth quarter, and I might just turn it off and go to sleep. <laughs> like, like who cares? Like who cares about this game? Well, I know I know you have a reason to care about this game, but that's <laughs> oh, true, true, true. Um, um, yeah, but I mean, like, like the playoffs. I I just can't wait for the playoffs, especially coming off March Madness. It's just like I'm ready for that level of excitement. It, all this stuff about fans coming back into the stadiums. Oh yeah, we didn't that's talk about that, that's but, great. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, even if you're not at full capacity, like, really, what's the difference between ten thousand and like you know, like it's it's thirty thousand or whatever the capacity is. It's like it's still gonna be night and day. I think. So instead of Jamal Murray going fifty versus fifteen, he's gonna straddle the middle like with half fans and go thirty. Is that no? I think I think ja- I think Jamal Murray just needs you know a couple hundred people in the stands, and then we'll get that sixteen points per game average back. Uh, Donovan, Donovan Mitchell twelve for twelve for thirty. We'll get, TJ Warren is did he even play this year? I'm, I'm not even sure. No, like like, like we'll get everything. We'll. Have you seen some of these free throw percentages this year? <laughs> yeah. Like Chris Paul, career, 83% free throw shooter. This season, 97%. It's like, all right, get get fans back. Let's get some fans back in here. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, man, yeah. it was good. Good having you on again. Um, we'll chat again soon. And uh, for all those listening, remember, email us at thickandthinhoops at gmail.com. Don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. And don't worry, Nitin will be back next week.